The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. Welcome to Stock Take. My name is Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today is analyst James Carlo. JC, we haven't seen you for a while. No. Uh, it says May, the last time I had an invite to one of these sessions. So I don't know what's been going on, but you've been doing You must have done something naughty. You're in the sin bin. Now you're back. No, well, I've been lying low. You've been getting Graham involved more, and I've been hiding. So what a been. revelation Graham has been. Yeah, sitting over there in Vancouver, not getting on the podcast, and now he's a, he's a star of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the star, we've got the other one, the other guy. What's his name? Mickey. <laughs> you're in Melbourne. How are you going? I'm very Welcome. good, thanks, Gaurav. Thanks. Uh, hi, JC. And hey, Mickey. Hello. Hi. Do you guys, do you guys know each other? Do you guys? <laughs> we've met. We've met before. You Can you introduce him. us, actually? <laughs> Mickelson, meet uh, meet James. Yeah. Now, Mickey. Um, I thought today uh, we have just finished reporting season. It's been a pretty torturous couple of weeks. I don't know about you, Mickey, but but JC and I have got kids at home. I've got a four-year-old at home. I've got um, construction going on at, at, at the house, and it's been a nightmare getting everything done. Uh, apologies if, if updates have been a bit slow from my end. I know you guys have been really quick on them, but um, it's finally oh, over. Not me, Mickey. Mickey, Mickey's it's Graham's been, the machine. Graham's been anyway, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's all over now, so I thought this might be an opportunity for us to catch up and go through some results that we thought were interesting or were particularly um, important. So I've got uh, two stocks. I hope you guys have two stocks as well. Um, and let's run through them. JC, we might actually begin with you because I can. I have a pretty good idea of one stock you're definitely going to talk about. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, is you're it going to be Altium? Are you? Yes, I, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure it's going to be Altium. Do you want to begin yes. with that one? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, you know. As results go, Altium's uh, on Monday this week was um, about as ugly as well. No, not as bad as ugly as they get. I mean, revenue went up, profit went up. But I mean, look, it's it's still it's still in the game, but uh, it was it was just very messy. Um, There's a lot of confusion because they sold the tasking business halfway through the year. Um, So there's confusion over whether numbers include that or they don't include that, and. And in fact, they missed their revenue target. It was a little bit disingenuous of them, a lot disingenuous of them, actually. Um, and I missed this initially that they, um, because they, they, their target for revenue was actually stated to be without um, the tasking revenues. And they said they'd made it, but included half a year's worth of them. So, um, so without that, it was a miss. But, you know, probably getting the headlines was the fact that the results came out unaudited because they can't find any auditors um, or they can't find the right auditors. I don't know. And that, you see, that's where the conspiracies start because if you want a particular auditor and you see they've got a tax dispute going on, which they revealed contingent liability of anywhere from 15, they say, to 120 million US, I think, to do with changing residents to the US six years ago. Um, have you guys seen any other results that uh, um, have also been impacted that haven't been able to find auditors? I haven't. I haven't either. Yeah. No, no. It is, it is no. slightly There was a thing ASIC was yeah. saying. 
Yeah. Well, as it was saying a few months ago, that that it was difficult to find professional services staff, and it, I think it's a known thing that it's hard to find them because, well, apparently it's partly. But how did down. all the other? How did all? I guess the question is how did how do all the other companies? What's what's different about Altium? Yeah, um, I don't know. Well, they're I mean their headquarters is in um, the the US, um, which may um, may impact things. I, I look, I don't I don't know. Um, but uh, you know that's that's what opens the door towards the cons- all all the conspiracy. Then you've got this contingent liability, um, which you know look they said on the call magazine he said on the call he didn't doesn't expect to pay a cent. He says look it's all about double taxation. It's about they shifted residence and so for that year or whatever, um, or for a period I don't know the the US are claiming tax and so are the Australians, um, and they're just pretty keen that they don't pay it twice. Um, but for the time being, they have to re- recognize a contingent liability. So, you know, look, it's a company. Apart from that, the accounts are pretty clean. They don't capitalize um, R&D. And, um, you know, so there's a, there's not much that can be wrong, I don't think. And anyway, they, they say they're going to be audited um, within a week. And, you know, what's in it for them to... You know, I, I just, I, 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 I dismiss that. I think it's, um, you know, just explained by, uh, you know, the right people not being available or whatever it is. Um, the bigger thing, though, is, is you know, the, the revenue miss and the fact that they've, so, you know, they set these big targets. They're unusual. Um, Domino's does it as well. One or two other companies do it. Talk about sort of five-year revenue targets, and and you know that's great to see. That's great to see that long-term or or at least medium-term ambition, which a lot of companies don't really talk about. Um, but it does give a lot of fuel to the bears if you if you're missing it, um, if you're missing them. So they pushed out their revenue target. Their 500 million US revenue target was set for 2025, but you know people have been Reckoning, reckoning for a year that they weren't going to get that, um, and now they've sort of admitted that. It, halfway through the year, it was well, we might still get there with acquisitions, and now, well, no, we're not. Even with acquisitions, we won't get there till twenty twenty six. So, you know, but the thing is, do, I mean, do you want to have targets or not? Do, do you want a company to have targets or not? I think it's a good idea. I don't mind them, uh, you know, talking about them to the market. I like the fact that they have the targets that demonstrate that they're thinking about long-term strategy. Um, but I, I don't want them, those targets to be restrictive and that they, the company feels as though they have to fill any gaps with acquisitions. That would be a big red flag for me. Is that, do, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Um, you don't want the cart leading the horse, essentially. And that's and that's what they've done. They've said, look, so we're not going to meet them, so we'll just shift them out a year. And to me, that's absolutely fine. You know, I really don't want them doing anything silly to try to um, meet that um, 2025 target. I mean, part of the thing that they've been doing the last year or so is um, discounting heavily their term-based licenses. So they're trying to build seat numbers, which is another of their targets. They're aiming for 100,000 seats, currently 54,000 by 2026 now. So they're shifting people towards term-based instead of perpetual licenses. Mm. Um, and that's required um, a bit of discounting, especially in the pandemic. And, you know, that's that's slowed them down. So, you know, they're, they're still doing the right things to drive the business forward, in my opinion. 
but it has a revenue impact, and so they're recognizing the impact of that. And you know, they're they're not letting those targets dictate, uh, you know, what they're, how how they're running the business. But nevertheless, it's good to have some targets, and it's you know that it helps to focus the mind. I think of the people who work there and all that. Now, JC, speaking of targets, um, this was itself a target for is it uh, is it. Autodesk, is that what the... Yeah, Autodesk, yeah. Yeah, right, okay. So they rejected that offer. Um, it, to me, it seemed as though that was worth considering. Um, what was... Well, no, I don't think it really was. I mean, it no. was $40, the current yeah. share price, $30. Yeah. I mean, I think it was quite opportunistic. Um, you know, it would need to be 50 plus for me yeah. to be interested, I think. I, I get um, the case that... Um, I understand that if this big uh, industry unification that they're working on is in, incredibly valuable if it all works. And I, I think you or someone, maybe, maybe it's you, JC, I think you mentioned sort of $100 a share it could be if it no, all I works. No, I don't think out. I've said that. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. I think, I think I've... But I mean, look, I wouldn't dismiss it for, yeah. uh, for a long time in the future. I mean, you know, I mean, if you look 30 years time, I'd expect much more than $100. So, I mean, look, it depends on, you know, you've got to give timescales to those sorts of predictions, but... Um, and there's no guarantee that that integration will work, that the industry will accept it, or that it will become a standard. So if you risk weight that and adjust for the you know time value, I would have thought around high 30s to 40 dollars a share would have been a reasonable uh, take. Well, that's yeah, but that's the point, isn't it? You know, you risk weight that, yeah. and in those words, there's a whole there's a there's a very big spreadsheet in those. Well, you know, I yeah. mean. It just depends how likely you think they are to drive this. Um, so what they're trying to do is build a platform that has um, all, all comers on and effectively hmm. um, consolidates their position as the dominant um, PCB software designer. Um, and they can also get revenues in from um, people uh, buying the components um, and also um, through uh, you know manufacturing um, the, the actual boards at the end of it. So they're trying yeah. to build this whole platform. Um, and that, that could be incredibly valuable. So yeah. as you say, so that, and if they get bought by one player like Autodesk, that kind of limits their potential in that area. And that's really what they're saying. The way they value that, maximize their value is by being independent. I see. Um, and look, you're absolutely right that you've got to risk weight that, but, but you know, how, how good a chance do you think they've got of getting to this platform and i think the signs are pretty good they're adding a lot of value there's there, i think that you can you can I, I i understand their arguments that there needs to be someone who's doing this because it's so much makes it so much more efficient yeah. the process mm. to bring the mechanical engineers together with the um the, the, the designers. pcb designers yeah. and you know all, all these people need to come together mm. on a platform mm. to build a new product mm. um it makes good sense and um you know, I'm I'm happy to to back them to do that. Maybe it doesn't work, in which case maybe the shares are only worth half what they currently are, and hmm. you lose some of it. But I'm I'm you know these are these are the way you you um. What you've you said know, in you the past to... though as well, JC, I think was a key part of the investment case. Is there's sort of a network effect that you know you kind of reach a critical mass where you know there there will be more and more people coming to the platform. So that kind of does that improve that is is that Kind of well, that's part you... of it. That's part of being the platform. So, I mean, the platform really only works if 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 you've got everyone on board. 
Um, and, and how far and, are they from that stage? Do that sort of tipping point? Do you think like do they? Have well, to... I think they're just getting to it. I mean, so what they've always talked about is is um, you know dominating first and then transforming, um, and they've reached what they think is the dominating stage. So they they reached um, the the um, uh, big, they got the biggest market share in seat numbers a couple of years ago, and now um, they're they're sort of gunning forwards in terms of revenue. Um, but they're I think they they're getting to that point. They um, they're growing market share when others aren't, um, and you know they're the one that have the the cloud platform out in three six five, which has been getting rave reviews, and you know th- that's. It, it's really there that the uh, the battle's going to be won and lost, not um, in whether the revenue target is is twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six. So I think you're absolutely right, um, and and I think that they're just getting to that point um, now. Over the, the you know, and I guess this sort of pandemic mm. came at the wrong time in that respect. Well, it, get, it came at a good time to help them sort of focus on on building things out. I suppose. I, I, I guess do I like sort that of about explain the discounting sorry, as well. Oh, sorry, that could just explain some of the discounting as well. I guess you know you, you're giving up some revenue today, but you're hopefully mm. just acquiring customers, and you, um, yeah, you yeah. get you're plugging more people into the platform. So. Yeah, that's right. It's the seat numbers that that you really want to see going up, and the and the usage of Outing three six five by subscribers, but also by um, other people in the industry. I do like that about the investment case, actually, because it's quite it relies on the patience of investors to see out this really ambitious, but as you say, James, a quite um, high value um, and sensible and um, task of kind of integrating all the bits and pieces of the industry. But a lot of investors wouldn't, you know, you saw from the share price, they're more concerned about what this year's numbers and next year's numbers or even this quarter's numbers are looking like. And so there's a there's an opportunity there for the patient to take advantage of that. Um, so I, I like that. There's an obvious inefficiency in, in the pricing, and you can see why this thing would be mispriced today. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the thing is that management also is a little bit slippery, if you like. They're I, a that bit, was my – yes, you know. I agree <clears throat> with that. All these I mean, multiple flywheels and weird uh, – I don't, I don't mind the flywheels so much, but the, the, the language of the mm. – of the announcements is is very uh, bullish, and um, you know the, this thing with the revenue target. Uh, I mean, this year's revenue guidance, um, including or excluding tasking, and just a little bit of. Um, but you know, I was thinking about this, and look, maybe I'm just looking at the <laughs> the glass half full. But I think analysts have a tendency to want and expect managements to be cold and analytical, like they are. Um, and cynical and all that. Um, and that might work for a bank or a supermarket or, or something, but I'm not sure that it works so well for a tech company mm-hmm. that's breaking new ground and growing quickly. Um, you actually want something, someone with a bit more optimism and a bit more drive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes they, you know, that optimism sort of, uh, leads to them possibly gilding the lily or skipping over the negatives. Um, that's just sometimes the sort of person that you need to take this sort of business forward. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I think fun, uh, Merk, Merkazimi is fundamentally honest. Um, I think he's smart. I think he has the drive. Um, and look, 
you know, investors, I think, you know, it, but it does, it, it gives fuel to the investors who want to, um, you know, uh, pour scorn on the investment case and, and doubt the targets and all that. See, I, I quite like the investment case. I was definitely on board when you upgraded and, you know, the, the track record of the business is quite astonishing. They've come from really from third place to crush the competition and become market leader by quite some margin. So that's mm. all really, really impressive. But what's kept me out of the stock personally is the uh, behavior, language, and as you say, JC, the slipperiness of, of management. That's kept me out of it. Yeah. And I, I, I haven't really made up my mind about which way to go. I, I do think it's kind of attractive. I saw the share price fall and I thought, you know, I think the market might have this wrong. You know, valuing this on sort of a, a yearly, year-by-year year profit is not the way to do it. Um, so I'm, I'm still tossing it up. I think, I think I'm, I'm going to regret using that word slippery. I don't think, I don't, I don't think he's slippery. I think he, you know, he's, um, you know, sometimes a bit ebullient and a bit, uh, he sees the positives and he, he, um, he perhaps skips over some of the negatives. He's not. JC. I'm just Googling what ebullient means. (laughs) For those uh, following at, at home, uh, JC has, um, I reckon the best take on management. He, uh, we were talking about Telstra CEO, and uh, and JC came out with his ripper where he said he doesn't like the way that he combs his hair back. You know? it's, it's not it's not the style of hairstyle you'd expect from a big oh, telco. Geez. I'm gonna regret saying that as well. No, but, but you I've know got what? Nothing against well, you're a, a comb over. That's why you're here, JC. We need these takes. We need these CEO yeah, we takes. Do. Well, JC, I remember when we went to meet the boss of Icenture. We went into Icenture. Um, back when it, after it listed and it looked like, numerically, it looked like a great business, right? We went to see- I was very interested company. in yeah. yeah, you were. Yeah. And within sort of 15 minutes of meeting management, JC was out saying, no, nah, that guy's not the right guy. He's not the right guy. I don't know, maybe his belt was too high or something. Some some really pedantic- no, no, Look, I mean, and this is going to annoy a lot of people on the podcast, but it, but he was too old. I mean, he was, um, <laughs> he, well, no, but also his attitudes was very much, he was very much based, I thought, I, can, yeah. I, I forget his name, begins with C. It was he was very much based in old media and and in um, you know uh, <clears throat> sorting out news clippings for for newspapers and you know I, I didn't think he was uh, the man to lead the business. Yeah, because he was too old anymore. He's built tech. too high. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it was his language. It wasn't. I mean, look, he he just came across an, as an old media person yeah. and not a new media person well, what i'm saying though is, is that these yeah. little i wanted him in a you know in a in a tank top black what is it a blank <laughs> black tank or whatever i think there might well, be some it's like um... a, you gotta you gotta use judgment when, yeah. you, when you um when you assess if you're going to trust somebody um and i guess that's kind of what you're getting at or whether you think they, they're competent or up to the job there's kind of lots of little factors that are hard to maybe put down on paper but you kind of just make a judgment call on that and there can be lots of things that feed into it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And when I hear Mark um talking on the conference call, he, he he does, I mean, look, he comes across to me as honest. He comes across to me as someone who just really Did he wants, tell you he's that? got oh. a vision. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, it's the way he answers questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he doesn't, it's sometimes the, the, anou- the announcements are a bit sort of, uh, over the top sometimes, but but when he's actually asked questions and put on the spot, he does, I think, try to explain things. 
just wait till he starts uh, jelling his hair back, JC. Then the opinions <laughs> might change. <laughs> that wasn't uh, I. The, the 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 thing about the Telstra CEOs. Yeah. Not I, mean, I was joking, obviously. About of course, obviously, yeah. yeah. He, Let's he, make um, that clear to everyone. That's yeah, right. He was joking. He feel. <laughs> I just feel he. He strikes me as someone who's um, uh, look. I don't want to be be rude about anyone, but he, he seems. Um, and look, a lot of companies have these guys who come in and they're, mm. they're interested in in their options and they're you know I don't know. Look, I'm being very rude, and I, I don't want to do that. But um, okay, well, we're sometimes you, sometimes you 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 get it. He, he, look, he wasn't a company founder, right? Put it like no. that. He wasn't yeah. a company founder. He didn't have a big pile of shares that he acquired years and years ago hmm. um, and that's what I like to see uh, and I prefer not the sort of um, the, the sort of higher guns I don't know when um, when he joined Telstra but maybe he's been there 20 years in which case I'll shut up but any <laughs> other character assassinations we need to <laughs> go through today <laughs> no, Jason? No, no no look at geez I've said far too much I know <laughs> well, we haven't even talked about wise tech Whew. Oh, be, look, he's all right. He's got a big collection of guitars. I like that. Mm. <laughs> Dickadata? <laughs> no, no, oh, we geez, won't go there yeah. either. No, oh, no, well, we had there. an interesting announcement, um, I that think, was hilarious. recently. Did you see that? He, yeah, well, he, when it, he sold some shares and the, the share price went down. So he released it. Everyone should go and read that announcement. It's pretty funny. It's he great. bought a jet and um, what else did he do? I don't know. He, bought, he, he runs a supercar. He's trying to build an Australian supercar. And uh, he sold billions of shares to fund that supercar ambition. He bought a, bought a private jet. <laughs> and uh, he's dabbling in US equities as well. Yeah, you don't yeah. want private jets. I mean, I, I think I, I read an article jet. about the Warren Telstra. Buffett has a private jet. Well, no, he only has a part share. Does, doesn't the tel- I think I read a, an article about the Telstra CEO. His is, this is what it's all about. He has a fast mm. car. He drives around in a big mm. fast car. And, mm. Anyway, but um, what about your chap from... Um, uh, you know the um, oh, next DC, next DC. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about fast cars. I yeah. mean, but he, you know, look. So I actually owned that for a little while. So I got over my um, sort mm. of. But he's not the higher gun, is he? He's he's been with that business. He's since, been that with that business pre-listing. So, yeah. So maybe he's allowed a fast car. You know. I. You know what? I know it upsets <laughs> a lot of um, portfolio managers, investors to see bosses, especially of smaller businesses, uh, buying, you know, stuff like that. But it doesn't upset me at all. I, I don't I didn't really get why everyone was so um, obsessed about Craig Scroogey and his, I think he had a Lamborghini and a Ferrari. And I don't know, it doesn't, I, I don't know, it doesn't bother me too much. I, I still think that's a wonderful business. And I think he's a great, great manager. I think it bothers one more if they've, it's all come out of share options and they've, they've got someone who comes in you know, is hired from outside the company as chief executive and then makes a, a bucket load out of options and then spends mm. it on whatever. I think if someone's been built a business from scratch, I think mm. it's a little e- a bit easier to stomach, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Everyone has different uh, <clears throat> ways to spend their money. Most of these... Well, no, but yeah. I, what I mean is that it's, it's just you, what you don't want is someone coming into a business from outside mm. who mm. Is, is motivated by just taking money out of it. Yeah, um, you no, know, the true. founder who's been there for a long time, you feel, okay. is, is still motivated to build the business. Yeah, right. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, now, we've, this is a very long discussion about uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Altium. I think we better move it along. Yeah, Altium. Let's wrap up Altium. To get through. Yeah. All right. So um, it's all on track. I have JC, no idea what car Magazine drives, but I reckon it's probably quite nice. <laughs> probably is, yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. quite nice. He does all right, I think. Must have a couple His of flywheels on that probably. thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Actually, you know, Bob McKee, I'm going to go next because um, I want to talk about uh, Aussie broadband, which is um, a stock that you know really well, uh, Mickey, don't you? So for those who now, people don't probably don't realize this, but um, we, I remember, I remember this this distinctly. Actually, it's a very clear memory in my mind. We, were, Mickey and I, were walk, walking in the city, and he just says to me, uh, "You know, there's a listing I heard about this Aussie broadband business. It's IPOing. I think you should probably go and take, take a look at it. You know, it might be interesting." And I just I just heard the name Aussie Broadband, and Mickey told me that it resells broadband. I just thought that's going to be rubbish. I'm not going to waste my time on that. <laughs> and then quite separately, uh, two or three different people who I know inside the telco industry um, contacted me to say, you know, there's an interesting business listing. You might be interested in an Aussie Broadband. And so uh, quite a handful of people told me about it. Mickey was the first and I think the only actual investment analysts to tell me about it so what you're saying is i deserve all of the well, credit all of i'm the not gonna say you deserve credit but you certainly <laughs> deserve some blame because mickey did how much how many shares did you buy of aussie when it listed and yeah well so i didn't i didn't buy any <laughs> um so yeah so i had no I, I mean the thing was um i can't actually remember what the thing was it was just an oversight really <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I find it hilarious it was, it was kind of you know you, i wouldn't i would never have gotten to it if you hadn't mentioned it to me and um, I remember in the in the Dragons then, you were quite enthusiastic about it as well. And uh, I don't know, you never bought it. Yeah, well, I, I, I was sort of similar to you. Like, I just had a few people mention it to me. I think my brother-in-law mm. uh, was the first person to mention it. And he's like, he, you know, he just said that, um, he said that uh, he loved them. And I uh, thought that was a really weird thing to hear about an internet company. Yeah. You don't normally hear that. So, um, but then, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, you, you know, you, you're the one who, um, yeah, put put all the pieces together. So, um. but more importantly, Mickey, I'm just trying to rib you for not buying shares in your own idea. Just, uh, just crazy. What did it had doubled by the time we all got to buy? Yeah, yeah, it had doubled. It, it had yeah. doubled after the float, mm. and that was the time. I mean, you'd looked at the float, but we all knew it was going to do yeah. very well. Yeah, and so we were waiting to see what price it got to before recommending it, and it doubled. And you still bought some yourself, and you still recommended it. And yeah. I think that was that was a courageous uh, decision. Yeah, I remember well, that. Well, not that courageous, the... but it but it's it's a, a um it's a good decision to be able to you know if you like the business and you still think it's valuable. I I I get put off buying things that have doubled. I, I'm afraid, and that's a that's a weakness. Um, it shouldn't make any difference if you mm. think it's a good value at that price. Then but it was, a, it was also a unique, I think, investment case in the sense that, um, you know, there wasn't anything sort of moaty about it. That's exactly uh, yeah. right. Yeah. 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 So it was kind of an interesting yeah. And it's approach. a question of how yeah. far you can go as the premium. And so I think that the, as a premium provider, how big a market <laughs> is there for that? And I think that those that, that's still unsettled, isn't it? So the market may be extrapolating a bit. The, 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 the book is not closed on this, I think. It's getting pretty close to being closed because they released results and it was a fantastic result. And it, you know, it wasn't a surprise. I'm, I am surprised by the very strong market reaction post the result because they had. So what happened in the result? So that the, they just had a lot more customers, a higher ARPU, which drove more revenue and um, pretty good EBITDA numbers, actually, way more than forecast in the float, obviously. They upgraded float numbers twice and there was. Um, it was on bang with that with that um, second upgrade. Um, so they're, they're basically making $20 million in, in EBITDA. They've got 400,000 uh, customers now. That's that's 50% more than they had a year ago and, and sort of twice, more than twice what they had uh, when they floated the business. And 
it, it's actually the growth is in fact accelerating. If you look at the, um, in a little trick here, if you're a, if you follow the telco industry, the ACCC releases um, regular numbers on market share gains and losses from NBN connections and just tracking that, those numbers, you can see that Aussie's actually taking an increasing share of, of, uh, of the market um, and, and their official numbers are sort of, I think they're at four, for just over 4% of the, of the total um, NBN pie, but incrementally they're taking over 20% of, of new connections and of those, they're taking about eight out of ten of the high-end, um, hundred-dollar plus connections. So, the market share is actually accelerating, and the breakdown of the customers they're getting is extremely attractive. They're they're handpicking the most profitable customers in the pool, and that's that's what makes this a better business than any competitor. It's it's okay. That's all fine, but what card is the chief executive? <laughs> And, and, he, what, and what kind of haircuts? Again? I was going to say I was going to get to his haircut. I <laughs> know the most important thing is the haircut. Um, this is what I this is this is now I told you sort of the secondary reasons we're buying it. The main reason we're buying it is he's bald. <laughs> well, that just closes that conversation. But does he does he have a lot of shares? And was he the founder? And and does he and and what I want to know is is he like because of what I was saying before about mm. tech companies, um, fast growing with ambition, does mm. he have that sort of drive paper over the cracks sort of approach of Merkazimi or is he cold and an- analytical, um, sees lots of downsides? What's the sort of, what's his vibe? Yeah. What's his vibe? You know, that is probably for me in the last 18 months or two years, what's the vibe has been probably the most important question I try and answer now. It sounds really, uh, silly and facetious, but um, everyone can see sort of the numbers of the business and um, that's clear to everyone. What's the vibe? If you can answer that question and get to a reasonable answer, I think you actually have an insight that other people don't have. Well, I think um, for these fast growing, I mean, look, yes. I think one, the, the vibe of the CEO of Telstra or CBA is, is right. not so much. It's a whole, that's a whole beast of an organization, isn't it? But with these smaller growing tech stocks, it's a bit mm. different. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, so um, uh, Philip Britt is is the CEO's name. He's a co-founder. He he founded the business with two other people. They're both on the board, and all three of them are major shareholders. What really got me interested at, at Float was that none of the existing shareholders, none of them, were selling any stock, and they were raising capital for a specific capital project, which was to build out the, their own fiber um, backhaul network. Uh, so you've got a, a, an, an indication that the founders you know, this is not a cashing out opportunity for them. And they had a specific project in mind. And even now you can see that these guys have a vision, a real clear idea about where the business is going, how it's going to get there and what they want it to be. I think that's really valuable. Do, well. do, but do they gild the lily as it were in the, uh, in their results? Do they sort of uh, show the upsides and no, this is, uh, you know, um, then another strange thing is that I often think um, every time I've heard a CEO swear, like use a profanity on an analyst call, it's always been a excellent. I don't outcome. think I've ever heard that. 
I've heard it three times. I've heard it three <laughs> which times. Companies, which companies? I've had. I've heard um, Phil Britt. The, the, I've heard Aussie Broadband say, um, you know, we do no bullshit here. We do no bullshit with OBS. There's no bullshit with our staff. Oh, I might have heard bullshit. Is, is bullshit a profanity? I don't days? think you can say it on a corporate call. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not. Maybe not. Keep going. Yeah. And uh, and PWR. One of the things I love, you know, the uh, I was listening to the CEO speak, and he said uh, someone asked him about, you know, um, how long he'd been in the industry or something like that, and he said. He just gave him this, the interviewer this, this this blank stare and said, mate, I eat, breathe, and shit radiators. <laughs> and, and when I heard that... <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can say that. <laughs> uh, I, I thought that was great. And uh, and, and the third one is um, is uh, Dicker Data, actually. Yeah, so CEOs. which company was that? Uh, that's PW, PWR. PWR, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, PWR, yeah. which is one of my favorite businesses. I think, and, yeah, well, I think a business like that, where you're yeah. making, you know, brakes for fast cars, I think you can use the, the S word there, yeah. And then Dicker yeah. Data is the other one, and that guy routinely <laughs> routinely drops bombs all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I'd sort of suggest they're not beholden to, like, I like some it, yeah. external you're corporate, right. uh, you know, facade. Like, you know, they can just be themselves because they're confident in their role and they're, they're not... Well, it helps if you've got... 20, 30% of the company, doesn't it? How much it has does. Dicker Data guy got of the company? Uh, the Dicker Data guy, he has well, heaps. He'd have yeah. so sort of 40% or so, wouldn't he? He's not worried about his job. Yeah. But the other thing is that um, I think the way the CEO, the other thing I've noticed is just watching, any time a CEO is in, like a, is in uniform, he's in a company logo uniform, I think that also says something. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's Aidan Williams of Ordinate. He's always wearing the yes, Ordinate right. t-shirt. Um, Love it. Every time uh, Aussie Broadband's anyone from Aussie Broadband is on anywhere, they're always in in uniform. Um, and 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 you know these may seem like small things, but these are all decisions that the company has made. You know, you could make get up. The CEO could get up one morning. He makes a decision to wear a suit, makes a decision to comb his hair, makes a decision decision about his language, and all those decisions come from some point of motivation. And I think if you Listening carefully, it's not the most important thing, right? It's not your, that's not in your investment case. It shouldn't be the, the most important thing. But these are all little bits of information, and you can put all these little bits of information, and they give you a, a sense of the vibe. You know, you can't open the book and, and read about the vibe. You have to you have to get clues <laughs> Price elsewhere. Price to vibe ratio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's difficult because you can yeah. be you can be put off by false sort of signals as well yeah it's yeah. a kind of a fluffy thing uh yeah. but you know it's that it, you're right like it's definitely inf- information it's um, information yeah, yeah. Um, most so important thing at the bottom of it all is that they've got a bunch of shares and that they've, they've been there from the start you know what i mean that's the uh yeah one thing hoff always says a hoff of course greg hoffman now um our esteemed friend and, and mentor always says it look for look for guys to go from zero to north um zero to one and i think there's a lot in that and all those businesses have gone from zero to one they've actually made something created something and i think that breeds something quite special um i aussie's now morphing into something beyond what it has been over the last few years so one of the most surprising things in its results and there was not getting away from the numbers here a little bit but the most surprising thing was the the this the um, the breadth of its ambitions. So they talked about, I, I kind of expected them. They, everyone knew they're going to move into enterprise. They built this really sophisticated enterprise portal. So they're getting enterprise sales at really high ARPU and pretty strong customer growth from there. And that's great. But then they also talked about, we're going to set up um, like uh, uh, security services, cloud services, managed data services. And these are all quite, these are 
technically demanding, competitive and tricky things to, to set up and get going. Um, it may scare many investors away, knowing that the business is moving, I wouldn't say away, but just adjacent to what's been a very successful core operation. But it reminded me a lot of Macquarie Telecom, which began in very much the same way. And Macquarie has been um, one of the most successful recommendations I've been involved with in, in a short time. It's sort of what four-bagged in the space of a year. And in my personal portfolio, it's one of my most profitable positions in my personal portfolio. It's just been a wonderful um, little investment. They began as a traditional telco doing very similar things to what Aussie was doing. They're, do, they're providing um, basic services to a specific niche, but doing it better than anyone else. And then they use the customers and they use the, the resources that that niche um, gives you. And then they go into more sort of specialized, higher margin, uh, more attractive areas. And I think that's the same sort of model that Aussie is building. So it's quite possible to see Aussie morphing into a much more interesting, larger and diversified business in the years ahead. And that's why I think there's it's it's worthwhile, even though the price looks silly. I think it, the market is now starting to recognize that this is a profitable, uh, much better quality business than any of its competitors. I think it's still possible to uh, get really good returns from holding on from here. What's, that, what's our buy price for it? So buy price is is two fifty. It's now over four dollars. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that buy price and. The problem is it's very hard to value, right? You've got all this optionality yeah. um, of things that they haven't done yet, but you've got this tremendous track record of things they have done. So how do you put those things together in a sensible valuation? And then it's hard. I don't know. Um, so we're just going to have a bit of a think about that. But Margin I, of safety. That's the, margin uh, of safety, yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? But um, look, it, it is hard. And uh, this is the problem with stocks that get away from me. all the stocks that have got away from me. You know, mm. they've started off by doubling, and, mm. <laughs> and then they've doubled and doubled and doubled again. And yeah. so, but I don't know whether this is the one. I mean, everything that you were just saying makes it a bit more interesting because, you know, you, you you feel limited by the, or I'm limited in my thinking about it by what they're doing now, and maybe that's the mistake. But um, Anyway, yeah. Well, there's a balance to be struck there, isn't there, JC? Because you can always say, oh, they're going to do this and they're going to do that. But at some point, you can't just – you have to you have to put some numbers down somewhere, right? You can't just mm -hmm. pay anything for, for um, what they're going to do or ambition. There has to be some sort of stakes in the ground somewhere. I just think well, some, some businesses as well and some management teams um, just are more – likely to, to find um, new ways to make money over time. Yes. Like, yes. I guess if you've got, you know, it's easy, it's pretty easy for a software business to come up with a new product relative to, um, well, I can't think of, you know, a, a shoe manufacturer. Well, you don't have to build, you don't have to build a factory. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the thing, isn't it? It's a bit easier to, to roll out, yeah, software. Yeah, Although, yeah. I, I mean, look, you've still got to hire a lot of <laughs> software engineers. And, anyway, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess it's just about, trying to assess you know what what um what what's going to what characteristics make it good for you know finding new um ways of making money and that's it's really hard to value but it's definitely extremely valuable because like you know if you look at things like google mm. or amazon mm. back in 2005 or 2010 mm. they just constantly reinvented themselves and so much value if you put that into a dcf at the time yep. you would never have been able to put that into a model but um, but I think yeah. it's about having that dominant platform of of some description or the, that user base somehow acquiring 
you know, a, a presence that enables you to reach people with with different new products. Mm. Um, and uh, so maybe Aussie Broadband is doing that by, you know. Getting and it. I also think what Mickey said earlier is is really important. There are, there are some management teams who are just good at finding ways to make money. You know, I've called it hustle and it's become a real core focus of my investing is trying to find these teams that marry, geez, what was that? Was that, oh, was that the voice of, was that just, the, is that because we struck a great idea? We had this, this, <laughs> gong. Light, this light bulb moment gong. <laughs> it's, 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 suitable, it's suitable if that's what it is, because here, here, here's the. Um, I don't, the I don't, I didn't hear any gong. Oh, right. <laughs> I, heard a, I heard a big gong. Maybe it was no, an, I think that must be gong. your place. It's in your head, yeah. Right? Must be. You know what? Maybe the, they've still got tradies around. Maybe this. That's what happens something. in your head when you have a light bulb moment. <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> Jeez, I wish I had. I heard a big handy. gong, like a, a, a huge. <clears throat> anyway, uh, it was a big gong. Um, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> you want you want to you want to um, find um, a marriage between decent economics and management with hustle, and it. Finding it, it's easy to identify decent economics, hard to identify the hustle, and and I think we've got it here at Aussie Broadband. So you're going to say an intelligent investor, but um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's move along from that. Yeah. Mickelson, um, you've got a stock for us as well. What can you follow up with two exciting, dramatic entries <laughs> from JC and I? Got to be good. Oh, well, I feel like, you know, you're leading me towards Commonwealth. Um, <laughs> yes, I what, what a disappointment. We've, okay, all right. Let's, let's give you a chance. Well, look, I mean, let's... Uh, well, I never said it was going to be exciting. Um, we've got timestamps on these, I think. So, you can just... Um, skip ahead. <laughs> skip ahead, you know. No, no. If you... I reckon we should, we should hear you out. You bought um, CB along for a reason. Um, we may be laughing on the inside, but we are, <laughs> we are here with you. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a it's a buy idea or anything like that. Um, but it, it is it, it is an interesting um, thing, I think, at the moment because, uh, well, I guess the result in itself wasn't really much of a surprise because you know what you saw was that um, banks are you know extremely profitable, and that's largely because you know house prices have recovered, consumers are doing very well, uh, which is good if you're you know making home loans and. Um, loans in general, really. Uh, so there's been a lot of government support and you've kind of seen that flow through to the banks. Um, and so, yeah, so the result wasn't was really not too much of a surprise. Um, I think what what's kind of interesting now is just the, the, the way that Commonwealth in particular is really changing and really responding to some of the uh, larger threats uh, that, um, that that are kind of emerging. And, and um you know, I think that, you know, it's always going to be a lender and it's always going to be a bank, but it it is definitely, you know, now it's spending, they've called out for sure that, you know, spending um, over a billion dollars, I believe, uh, which is a huge amount on, on new kind of um, te technology. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so it's kind of, it's kind of changing. It's kind of responding to, to a lot of these um, threats. And I thought that was sort of um, something that was a little bit um, interesting basically. So the threats um, are definitely rising, aren't they? I mean, we've, we've got this, um, the square and afterpay tie up, and we've talked internally a lot about this. We've, we've published a little bit about it, but that is a significant com competitor to, I would have thought bank, uh, terminals and bank payment. Then you've got these, um, neo banks, then you've got these small technology led, led lenders. 
I would have thought that there's not there's no real big brand name bank coming after the big four banks and CBA in particular, but there's a lot of little smaller newish competitors that they have to contend with. And th- yeah. th- this is the thing that that makes me wonder is because you know you say they're spending a billion on technology. Uh, sorry, I just I need to get the actual number. Oh no, but it does, me, doesn't but really it doesn't really matter. But what what I was thinking is that it, that even if they build, how much was Afterpay taken over for? Was it forty billion or something? Hmm. Even if uh, they even if they build an Afterpay, even if hmm. they manage to strike gold and create an Afterpay, that's um, about, around about a third or a quarter of their market cap. So I mean, look, which which would be nice, but it's kind of incremental. Do you know what I mean? It's not. It's not like they've got that sort of. It's it's so so. It seems to me that all this defense, this spending is is quite defensive in nature. It's not gonna. Yeah. It's gonna protect what they've got. You know, rather than, you know, it, it, the, the the trouble is they've got so much to lose. I think. Well, They're yeah. Such a big I mean, company. so this is this yeah. is the. This is kind of the interesting thing, I guess, about how they're responding. So I guess the advantages that they've got at the moment is, you know, they're quite big and they've obviously got existing customer relationships with, I think it's one in three Australians, they're the primary bank. And so, you know, they realize that, you know, you've got all these fintechs and you've got these shadow lenders and whatnot that are starting up and they're kind of getting into payments and lending and budgeting, filling all these kind of like little niches. Um, But... You know, I don't. I don't think they think that they can compete with every little thing. But I think that what they're trying to do is basically just try and stay at the center of uh, the ecosystem for those customers. And then if they can just, they can partner with those fintechs, or they can come out with some of their own functionality. And 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 I guess maybe what they're trying to do is almost become like a banking platform. Um, and that sounds like a little bit funny or a little bit strange to say about a bank but if you can maintain that role as you know the center of your customer's financial ecosystem and then you can have apps that come in on top and integrate with um, you know the banking experience well then you can build out all this new um, functionality all these new apps all these new services into the into the um, into the platform Um, and so I think that is kind of interesting. I mean, obviously, but, but yeah. my, my my concern is that if they're getting into that, becoming a sort of platform, we're talking about a digital platform. We're talking about something that's online, and in that space, there's a whole bunch of other companies that could do the same job. I mean, you've got people like Apple, for example, or Facebook, or whoever. I, I just don't even know who you know can provide white labeled um, uh, financial products. Yeah, and you know, it takes them. Uh, it, because what banks previously had was a big branch network, which was necessary. You know, you had to go to your local branch to go and do something, to go and deposit a check or whatever it was. And, you know, without that, I don't know why you necessarily, I mean, of course, they do have a bunch of users right now. Um, but, you know, credit cards are being eaten away at. And, you know, this whole idea of a platform I just wonder where that goes over the next 20, 30 years. I don't see why they should have a particularly, you know, I'd, if if Apple would do my banking, you know, I think I'm there in a second. Well, yeah, and that's that's I think the threat that they're that they're responding to, um, because you know, as you say, like they're essentially just an intermediary between you know capital markets or central banks and 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 you know borrowers basically, and. So, you know, the thing, I guess, with Apple and Google is, you know, they've got the scale, they've got existing relationships, they've got, you know, devices in everybody's pockets with payment chips. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's a very small step, really, between that and potentially offering people loans. Um, but I guess if, um, you know, you can, you can leverage your existing customer relationships and that you've got, you've got a good starting place potentially, uh, to respond to that threat. And so it could, it might not be that Apple and Google, you know, take over banking all over the world, but, um, they probably will be, you know, a competitor among, you know, many kind of competitors. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, I guess you can almost say that there's, um, you know, so that's, I guess, what, uh, what they're trying to do, you know, whether they'll be successful, uh, is, is kind of the, the interesting thing. And it's, it's going to be quite interesting, I think, to watch it unfold over, as you say, over the next 10, 20 years. But just, I think, and, and John wrote that article a few weeks ago, um, about what I can't remember what it was called, um, but talking about how easy it is now to switch. Um, and so switch your mortgage. And this is the thing. It, it just, um, if, if big tech companies are white labeling uh, loans and so forth, you know, where's the value in just having an actual bank? That relationship just becomes devalued, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got, I, I think, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to argue, you know, obviously, because I'm, I'm not kind of taking the, the other side. Like I do think that Apple and mm. Google can potentially be a, a threat. Um, but it would seem that, um, you know, there's also quite a good starting point for, for Commonwealth, you know, to, to respond to that. And um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're a, from a customer's perspective, you know, what do you really want? You want, you know, low cost, you want good service, you want to get your loan quickly, um, and you just want someone that, you know, a company that you can trust, probably, and, you know, maybe a few Well, you want that on the side. deposit guarantee, don't you, as well, for your, for your deposits. I suppose that's a oh, big exactly. thing that the banks yeah. have. I don't know whether people like Apple automatically get that if they ask for it, but... Well, that's um, it. I mean, because they are like so. I mean, so why why wouldn't you keep on banking with with Commonwealth if they can tick all those boxes? And why wouldn't you get your loan from them? You know, if if they well, you might, but you might. It just might hurt margins. That's the thing, isn't it? If you've got all these other people and it's easy to switch, and that's so. I think, yeah, that's that's yeah, the threat, isn't it? For, step back for a moment. Um, CBA and Mickey, I, I don't, don't know the banks. I think both of you would know more than me, so please correct me if I'm wrong here. But CBA owns most of its money from its mortgage book, right? Yeah. Um, that product is not really under threat. Is what they're doing just sort of um, – is that really – does it matter at all when so much of their value comes from their mortgage Well, the margins have been coming down on the mortgage book, haven't they? The net interest margin. Um, yeah, that's true. Yep, they have been coming down. But I'd say that's probably a function of where interest rates are. And every time house prices rise, that's just automatic uh, growth for that mortgage book because people have to borrow more money. So the volume just keeps on compensating for that margin decline mm. in, in periods of low interest rates. The opposite probably happens. Yeah, which which some would see as a risk. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, if interest rates are maybe as low as they can go and all that. Yeah. Well, but then, but then though, the interest margins would increase. Yeah, okay. Start. So so if the book, so yeah. that, yeah, that would reduce yeah. maybe so the I'm risk. I'm just wondering how much, all this, yeah. how much does it matter, um, uh, Mickey, for the actual value of the business? Is this, is this kind of just creating optionality for CBA or is this, um, oh, well, is this some, something more fundamental than that? Yeah, well, I think it's just preserving their their, their market share, really. Um, and so, 
Yeah, I mean, they're just, it's just, um, you know, the banks that aren't doing this, and I yeah, guess, okay. you know, Commonwealth is a good example of a bank that yeah, is yeah, yeah. responding, is well-placed to respond and probably does have a future, but then it, it almost increases the gap between the Commonwealth yeah. and everything else that, um, you know, they don't have the resources to actually respond. So I guess it Basically just... Basically, the pay- only one's doing it, right? No, one, no other bank is anywhere close to where they are. Well, I think they're they're, mu- they're further ahead. Uh, you know, all the banks are putting more software into the cloud and, you know, focusing on simplifying processes and quicker loans and stuff mm. like that. Um, but I think, you know, Commonwealth's definitely got a lead. And, um, you know, they're coming out with their own buy now and pay later product, which they'll roll out to all their customers. They've mm. got, um, you know, this new thing called Unloan, I think, which is going to compete with potentially Athena and some of these more nimble lenders. So... Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they're obviously going to be driven by loan volumes and net interest margins, and and that that won't change. But I guess you, there will be a lot of change, I think, in this industry, you know, over the next ten, twenty years, and um, and so that that sort of just they're they're making the investments today. I think that you know they can see the threats on the way. Mm. Um, so I think that's why it's interesting, and you know, it's also interesting now because you know the market is starting to price that in. Um, and it's on a, I think it's on a PE of, of 20, which is one of the highest PEs it's ever traded on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, so I think on a price to earnings ratio, price to book ratio, it's pretty much the most expensive bank. But What's the price to book? Is it getting up towards three again? Yeah, it's about, about two and a half. Two and a half. So... Oh, that's more, yeah. You know, I like, my first reaction was, "Oh, it's not that bad." And I thought, "Hang on a second, two and a half." <laughs> two and well, yeah, two and a half plenty. Yeah. I mean, it's it's um it's pretty high. I mean, I you know, so I guess the returns from here, you know, I, you know, they're, they're, you can't imagine that they're going to be great. Um, they've just got threats from all sides, and um, they've got uh, you know, a decent return on equity, but they've, you know, um. They are they are having to just defend themselves. They've got kind of just lower interest rates always uh, eating into margins. So mm. um, yeah, so I wouldn't I wouldn't expect you know a great return from here. Uh, definitely at the current <laughs> current levels. But I, I just thought it was I just thought it was interesting how they're um, responding basically. So I found that an interesting result. Yeah, interesting. No, no, I, I I'll give you that, Mickey, because that you yeah there is some interesting stuff going on there. Geez, that price looks. Um pretty remarkable though yeah well i mean if you um I didn't realize it was, it was up so high that is a lot crazy. of people will be sitting on a lot of capital gains really so that's mm. you got that buyback now as well if it, it's probably not a terrible time to look at taking some profits really but if you um that buyback could be a way to to do that um uh which is they're doing a six billion dollar buyback um but they've <laughs> so they continue to take market share as well um you know, which is which is good to see. So um, they've got you know great capital backing as well. A lot, so much of it does tie into the housing market though as well, doesn't it? Mm. Just like a proxy for that. Yeah, but Mickey, housing market growth—it always goes up. Ah, oh, jeez. So tell hands. me about it. As a as a renter, I can't escape that, unfortunately. So <laughs> yeah, but um, right, well um, let's. We've got a couple more stocks, gents. Do we? We're almost 15 skip, minutes in. Should yeah, skip through them quickly or... Yeah, yeah. all right, let's, let's go through them quickly. We probably don't have time to go through them in as much detail. So let's go through them fast. JC, yours is, I dare say, the most interesting of the bunch. Let's start with yours. Oh, well, I think so. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, um, Mickey's sitting there with a scowl on his face. 
<laughs> we mentioned Ada Williams. Yeah, what are you trying to say about Commonwealth? Uh, oh no, no, no. We we're talking about optionality tech company. Uh. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So I was going to just quickly mention Ordinate, which uh, had, I think, a great result. Um, but particularly interesting is, you know, whenever you hear them talk or present, is is what they say about video, and they. Um, Reference this demonstration showcase. It was called um, in the U.S. recently, whereby three people um, or three groups in different locations um, were all able to Washington D.C., New York, and somewhere else, and they were all able to, you know, be patched together into what looked like the same video. I think, mm. um, uh, which is a remarkable thing. I think, and. Um, you know, show, it just shows the value of of combining their network, their video and and audio technology. Audio is where they're very strong already, and video is where they're just getting started, and is potentially at least as big a market. Um, now, uh, James, some people might look at Ordinate and see a near billion dollar valuation, a big loss, and small revenue, even smaller revenue gains. Actually, um, what what would you say to the skeptics? about this business what i'd say look at my article from a month ago which looked at how things could pan out over the next 20 years i mean you know at the moment they i mean they have a very dominant position in a in a market which is only just getting started hmm. um and so the as in um digital networking of of audio and video um and the software that goes around that and so their revenues they're making, and, and it's a market which, you know, it, it has it adds clear value. There's clear reasons why you would want to do this um, digitally rather than with, with analog cables. And so it's very easy to see that market growing. And they pretty, or they pretty much own it um, in the audio sector segment, not so much video. Video is at a much earlier um, stage of development. Hmm. Um, and, this, and then there's the software around that. So the market, um, uh, that market is growing. Their share of it should be growing. And so the revenues that they'll be making in 10 or 20 years' time, you can really see how they can be many times bigger than they are today. So I think that's, that. you know, it's still making a loss and it will do for another few years, but it, it's got a very bright future because it really, it's, it, the market has the major network effects um, and it's already the dominant provider. There's no one really on its heels. And mm. so it's hard to see how it won't keep growing rapidly. That's pretty good. That's a good answer. I would, <laughs> there you, there my answer go. would have been uh, just a you know, smack across the back of the head and open your eyes, can't you see? It's pretty, pretty clear. This is a, um, I mean, uh, this is a business we, we love at II. I think we, we um, looked at this, JC, when was I remember... You guys, a bunch of you went to the um, uh, Shaw's presentation and came back just uh, just gaga about Ordinate. <laughs> and I don't think I've seen such excitement about a business um, in, in many, many years. And the, well, I think what was different diminished. Yeah, what was different about that presentation Alex and I went to was that, um, you know, we'd already, we'd been researching the company quite a lot. We'd, we'd already, we were already liking it. Mm. Um, but we got to see Aidan Williams, who was then the chief technology officer and has mm. become the chief executive. And uh, he liked his just, hairstyle. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, he was wearing the company shirt. Well, and he yeah, was very dance style. There we go. But he Belt was very confident. Spot. He was also very Young confident fellow. in the business. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he said, what was it? He said, it's not really about the technology anymore, were, were the words. I think I remember that the grabbed Alex. Because, you mm. know, when people say that, it, it, you know, he was basically saying, we just we just have space now. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's done. It's about marketing yeah. and, and just growing that market rather than beating off competitors, you know. Mm. And um, but he was just very, um, yeah, very very uh, genuine and very down to earth. Uh, understood the product. I mean, he designed it back in the day, and um, he he's been there since the since the beginning. And um, yeah, a very good man to have leading the company now. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's not often you you we talk about um sort of a tech business in those terms often when we're analyzing or most people analyze tech stocks they're really focused on the technology and the network and here we are you know talking about the um the ceo and i just think shows how important people are in businesses in every kind of business not just you know customer facing uh, soft businesses even hardcore tech companies it, the, the people in charge really matter well i think it's important in, in, a, in a company like this which is developing um so much technical product because he mm. he can actually talk to all the people he hires in in a technical way and you know they recently hired a bunch of uh, mm. video engineers in cambridge in the uk mm. and they did that you know in lockdown um without being able to but i think mm. i think he just they did it basically over zoom but he was um able to you know communicate and give confidence to those people about what the company was doing and he was able to understand their skills and you know the the ability to uh, having someone so technical um running the company i think is is a great thing but he also whenever i've um spoken to him we've done um one or two uh video uh, videos with him you might be able to find them on the website um and he's you know fully across um you know, it, it's like once you've done, mm. um, you know, audio networking software, you know, understanding company financials is a bit of a breeze. I think he, he's fully, <laughs> fully across how to, how, how to add value financially. Nice. So, um, yeah, no, uh, great man to have a, a lead in the company. Excellent. Mickey, tell me you own this one, please. I'm going to cry for you if you don't. Oh, yeah, no, I, I do. All right. Um, yeah, that's been great. It's been good. <laughs> Very good. good. Uh, Good for the old nest egg. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I've got BHP, which now seems very underwhelming. But um, look, I thought it was Im important just to quickly update what's happening here. Not because it was, well, it was a very good result, actually, mind you. Um, but just because there are so many changes announced um, from BHP. And I wandered into this result very confident about the outcome. I kind of thought I knew what they were going to release. And then they released a handful of bombshells, which was just one after the other, really, really surprised me. So the first was um, was the spin-off of the petroleum division, which kind of had been spoken about in the media. I'd, I'd read articles that they were thinking about doing it. I thought it would be um, a South 32-style spin-off in hand to the, to the shareholders. I did not anticipate the deal they announced, which was a spin-off and merge um, with Woodside Petroleum. Now, I've read a book, uh, a biography of BHP years ago called The Big Fella, which is a, a brilliant um, biography of BHP. Starts from BHP's founding last century and just goes through every major development 
um, all the problems they faced, all the great things they did. And you really get an understanding of the business. If anyone is a is interested in BHP or is a significant shareholder, you must read this book. It really gives you a, a good indication of, of the business, where it's come from, its ambitions and its problems. In that book, they talk about three deals that BHP has always wanted to do from, from way back in the, I think in the 80s or the 90s, they've highlighted these deals as dream deals for BHP. It's interesting to go through them actually. So the first deal was they've always wanted a merger with Rio Tinto and they want to do that because they they could um, Rio Tinto and BHP own competing sets of infrastructure in the Pilbara and they mine different piles and they have to then move those piles of dirt onto their own infrastructure. If they could share infrastructure, they could just make the movement of ores so much more efficient. They could lower costs dramatically, um, improve blending, improve grades, and improve um, throughput um, through both their infrastructure pipelines. And that would be a, a remarkable deal. It would never happen because the Chinese would, would shoot it down instantly. But um, it's always been on How their wish the list. Chinese, why would the Chinese shoot it down? It's a, it would form a, a monopoly on iron ore production, basically. They would have about 50%. Well, what does China have market. to do? How, how does China have any uh, the authority over Yeah, I, look, I, I, I don't know that question, but I know that when, you, when you're doing a big international merger like that, there are a handful of um, international countries have to approve it, and because China is such a large customer, um, they mm. do have to go through an approval process um, over there. Um, I mean, they, if, if China says no and we go ahead anyway, it, there's, there's a risk that they might, I mean, you know, they, they probably still have to buy the ore for a time, but but uh, it, I don't think that would happen without an, an approval from from China. Just as, um, you know, it, Europe, Europe has a big, uh, European approval has a big say, has a, is important in American mergers as well, um, just because they do business over there and um, the European authorities have to authorize like sort of big, uh, industry mergers, uh, the same deal here. Uh, actually, there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no in indication that the ACCC would would allow that merger to go through in any case. But um, but that's always that's always the big dream deal. The second one has always been a takeover of Western not Western areas, Western mining, Western mining WMC, which of course BHP completed um, in about 2007 or so. Now that deal is always on the wish list because. Um, it includes, it's basically a takeover of the Olympic Dam mine. Now, Olympic Dam is a, hey, did I hear someone yawning back there? <laughs> JC, Jesus, not me. I'm just about to talk about, I am just about to talk about the most amazing <laughs> mine in the world and you're yawning. It's terrible. <laughs> Olympic Dam is, is maybe the, it's either the top or the second most profitable ore body in the world. It's a, um, it's like the world's fourth biggest gold miner. It's biggest uranium deposit. It's like second or third biggest um, nickel deposit. Like it's, it's an amalgamation of all these minerals, each on their own of gigantic scale and combined. It's just a monster of a mine. When BHP proposed a few years ago to do an open pit, the open pit at, at um, Olympic Dam would have been physically the size of the entire city of Adelaide. Um, it's a big mine. Uh, but they've never really cracked the economics of the mine, and it still loses money, even though the ore is notionally so valuable. But anyway, that that was the second uh, dream deal, and the third dream deal was a was a takeover of Woodside. And so there's always been these strategic plans to buy those three assets at some point. And it's interesting now that two of them have been done, and 
the Rio deal. I just wonder whether that will get done one day somehow with a demerger, a merger of assets. There's still a way. There's lots of ways that could go down, and maybe one day it will. Um, but they're, they're doing that. They're going into potash for the first time, which is a brand new commodity for them. First time in maybe 20 years, they're going into a brand new commodity. Um, and uh, they're probably back on the acquisition trail. So I think by next time, this time next year, you're probably going to be seeing BHP buying mines again. And I wonder how the market is going to react to that. I think it's going to be a bit scary for many uh, because... People have 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 a long history. Remember, BHP is an awful acquirer of assets, but I do think the company has changed and doesn't scare me as much as it used to. Um, so, BHP changing uh, once again, and it's going to be in, in a few years' time. It's going to look like a very different business than it does now. So, um, prepare for that. I still think it's a wonderful business. Actually, this is not just a cyclical iron ore business. It's a it's a it's a high quality miner, and I think across the cycle, it can generate really strong returns on capital. So it remains a hold, even though the iron ore price is falling off a cliff, it remains a hold and um, we'll update when there are updates warranted. I think I got through that pretty quickly, gents. Any questions? Not for me. That's because you're too busy yawning. <laughs> we well, I mean, it was the Commonwealth Bank that set the tone, but the... Um... Yeah, but I'm glad it wasn't you, Mickey, because <laughs> coming from the CBA, you got no, you got no chance of yawning at BHB. Uh, What's your I'm number still, two, Mickey? Uh, what's that? Sorry? What do you got? What's your number two? Oh, my my number two. Um, so I'll go with uh, Australian Ethical, which I thought oh, just had a that's a good one. Had a fantastic um result. Uh, I was well. I I mean, when I first read it, actually, I was a little bit um, little bit frustrated. Actually, I was about to rattle off an email. Uh, because they they'd um they so they grew profits by about nineteen percent. Um, and and uh and it's it, like so obviously. Um, they're the responsible funds ma- fund manager, mm. and you know there's money pouring into ESG, and I just thought that um, they should uh, they should be you know attacking the ethical, social, and governance. I feel we yeah. should say is what that yeah. stands for. Yeah, Envi- ethical funds. Thanks. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, so eth- ethical funds, and um, and so there's there's money heading into this area. Um, but I've been like reading. You know, for example, Perpetual's report. Um, I was I was really really frustrated because they've just bought this, uh, you know, responsible fund manager Trillium, and it's pretty obvious what they're going to do is they're just going to try and you know ramp up marketing now and try and attract as much flows as they can. Uh, and so there's this just going to be you know a lot of competition, uh, you know, entering this space. And so when I read the annual report at first, I was a little bit worried because I just thought that they weren't investing enough in you know, making sure that they um, were going to stay at the head of the pack. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so this result, basically, they they just explained that, you know, they're going to be investing pretty heavily in maintaining their market share, growing it, uh, you know, growing farm, you know, just maintaining that market leadership. And, um, you know, they've got that kind of, you know, long track record. They're outperforming across all their funds now. Um, they've got very sticky customers and they've got this kind of really nice Google SEO advantage as well. Um, so they kind of tick all the boxes. They just need to get the message out there. They need to build the infrastructure, the relationships with the advisors. Um, one of the other things that sort of has been a little bit of a frustration for me is seeing like beta shares, for example, they've got, you know, this ethy and fair ETFs that have just been growing like crazy. 
And I've always wondered why Australian Ethical didn't launch its own ETF, you know, because they're getting just incredible flows through that um, beta shares. Uh, but yeah, so they, they announced in this result that, um, you know, they, they should have a product like that, you know, in market, hopefully within the next 12 months. Um, and they've got a high conviction fund coming as well. Um, so yeah, it just seems like the business um, addressed pretty much all my concerns and um, they look, they seem to really have the opportunity set um, under wraps now and it looks like their management reckons that they can grow FUM. Uh, they've grown from $1 billion in FUM to $6 billion in about five or six years wow. and they reckon they can grow that another three to five times over the next five years. And Mickey, um, do, you have a, do you have a breakdown of, of that growth from inflows and performance? Do you know that off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, um, I mean, so they grew, I think they're doing about a... Um, Ninety million dollars a month at the moment of inflows. inflows. Really? Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. So it's like, uh, and that number is growing. That that number grew by fifty six percent. Yeah. Where's that? Is that coming from the advisor channel, the retail channel, the wholesale the channel? Advisor, well, I mean, so it's all of them. All uh, of it's them. all the channels. All wow. the channels. But I mean, the advisor channel is one that they've really only just started to explore. Like up until last year, even half of advisors hadn't even heard of them. So there's just low hanging fruit there about getting mm. getting the message out to some advisors. Because there's more and more people asking their advisors about this now as well. Yep. So the advisors yep. kind of hold the keys to the to the kingdom. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the flows, I think, from the advisor channel have just started really uh, ramping up. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's been that's been exciting. Um, and I think what's what's actually quite exciting about it um, is even if you look five years out, you know, you can see that there's potentially quite a long runway even beyond there. So, um and you know the the ESG or ethical, I think style of um, of investing. I don't think it's going anywhere now. I think you know there's definitely boards across the country are taking good notice of ESG trends, and um, so uh, yeah, I think they're just really well positioned, and um, so yeah, it was just a great result. Yeah, nice one. Uh, JC, any questions on that one? Well, I would say my, my concern um, with Australian ethical, and it's not that much of a concern because I own it, but the um, so they give away some of their margin, don't they? Or they've they've um, promised that they will sort of as they reach certain targets. Can you explain that? And so that to me limits the upside a little bit, um, but obviously that also you know helps with their marketing and helps them gain gain farm. So yeah, well, so yeah, so as they're scaling up. Um they are lowering their fees. And I actually think that's a, um, I actually see that as a positive because I mean, I think, you know, yeah, so you can't, um, you can't, uh, so your margins are going to come down. However, it's also making it harder for other people to compete with you. And you're, as you grow, um, you're going to be able to charge a lower fee than people who are smaller than you just because you're spreading the fixed costs across a yeah, um, yeah. larger base. So, you know, it's just going to, they've just got this. Well, I suppose for existing big fund managers who want to start an ethical fund and can do so and lose money on it for a few years, um, uh, that would be, it'd be easier for them. Yeah, it would be. Um, I mean, it's hard though, I think, because how it's just difficult to compete with Australian ethical, I think, given the track record and given the kind of, um, they've done this for 30 years. So, you know, if a big, company comes along now and says hey we're we're ethical and we've got you know you get these big super funds that are just like mm. oh hey we've got this ethical option it's i think it's 
it carries a different weight. And mm. like, for example, Australian Ethicals donating 10% of profits to charity. Like, you know, are they going to start doing that? Maybe. But, um, you know, so and that, there's no doubt there'll be competition. But, um, you know, I think uh, these guys are just really uh, placed quite well. Mm. Um, so I'm not so worried about the the margins. I think they'll make it up on the volume eventually and uh, it's just making it a more competitive business longer term. What does worry you? Is it the the valuation looks crazy on just plain metrics? But, but, but fast yeah. going farm managers, yeah. the valuation always yeah. looks crazy. That exactly. could have kept you out of Magellan for a long time. Well, the problem is it's yeah. got profits, I reckon. If it didn't have profits, it would, <laughs> no one would, no one would be <laughs> batting good, an eye. That is a good point. That is a good point. Because um, there's so many software stocks out there that are just, you know, priced on massive multiples and no one really criticizes them. I mean, it's it's just strange, I guess, for a fund manager because you're not used to seeing them mm. trade on these kinds of multiples before. But, I mean, if the opportunity is as um, big as this and, and maybe people now are starting to recognize that, that opportunity, then, mm. um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, um, yeah. And the cost base is relatively fixed, isn't it? So as the funds flows in, the, the earnings can increase quite rapidly. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a big strength of like Magellan. Except, um, except for when you're cutting uh, your fees, though. <laughs> that's, I suppose, the problem, isn't it? You ramp up the marketing and cut your fees. And so well, they said they're going to... But... Yeah, they said they'll, they'll, they'll cut the fees as they scale. So I guess it's going to reach a point if they don't keep growing, then when they, you know, maybe won't have to lower fees as often. But... Um, Mickey, so, can, you, can you talk yeah. about the capital allocation a little bit? Because I guess they're making massive free cash flow. How is that? How are they spending that free cash flow? Well, they're paying a lot out as dividends, mm. um, paying because they don't really need to keep much cash. Yep. Um, but they there are there there are there is potential, I think, for acquisitions at some stage. Mm. Um, and there's a couple of different ways they could go with it. They could take out like a local competitor, uh, and then potentially, you know, they can. Um, combine marketing or they can combine you know the access to distribution channels or something like that um to get to get some advantages that way or uh they could potentially look internationally um and i don't think management's really said too much about that um or or anything but i think that you know they mentioned it it's something that they're considering um, or something is just part of you know what they consider. But I mean, you know, they, they haven't really pushed into international investing, for example. So, um, you know, that could that could be um, that could be another opportunity as well at some stage. Uh, so coming back, I guess, to what we we're talking about earlier about you know um, the different opportunities and looking for companies that have different ways to grow. Like Australian Ethical seems to just um, have that going for it. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm a shareholder and I'm obviously very happy with the business. But the one thing that worries me a little bit is just um, with these um, these capital light people businesses, you you can see sometimes the um, the capture by staff to be higher than the capture by investors or shareholders. And that's something I'm just watching a bit more. Maybe they pay some of the surplus, they can make surplus out as you know, bonuses and, uh, you know, that, that uh, pay as a proportion of revenue. I just want to make sure that kind of stays in, in line. It has to be fair, I guess, so everyone gets paid well, but um, there must be tempting sometimes to uh, to see that creeping up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, um, 
I think that's right. Like you've got to keep a control on expenses and mm. um, so yes, and, and make sure that the margins um, preserve the margins for, for shareholders. But I think they're just trying to balance all the different competing priorities. And um, so hopefully we can keep an eye on that and watch how that unfolds. So we've got a hold on it at the moment. Um, and yeah. Nice one. Again, that was a, a, a really good upgrade because it we you upgraded it at a time when it looked optically silly, <laughs> and it, it fell right after you did it. So to to keep your keep keep your nerve and um and to keep the the bar on it was, was was great. Nice work. Right, gents. I think we have uh, we better finish this off. We've been talking for a while now. People are probably sick of us. No one's probably listening to <laughs> to this part of the podcast. So if you want to say anything, now's the if time. You to got, go. If you've got this far, <laughs> well, well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been a marathon. JC, great to have you back on. Uh, thanks for your time today. Yeah, pleasure. Uh, Mickey, as always, uh, thanks, thanks for coming on. Didn't hear from the dog today. No, he's uh, he's having to lie down. It's actually what's he doing in the corner there? Well, I'm he's, about um... to do the same thing. Go in the corner, curl <laughs> up, lie down. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Mickey, and for everyone else. Thank you for listening.